Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, Matt, let's bring in our next guest, Rebecca Felton, Senior Market Strategist for Riverfront Investment Group. And her claim to fame is she is a fellow spider, Matt, from the University of Richmond, my alma mater. So we can't go wrong there. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us here. Um, boy, the wall of worry out there for an equity investor is pretty darn high. And now you add to it over the last couple of months, geopolitical risk. How are you guys thinking about the market right here? Well, good morning to you both, and thank you for having me. Um, you know, we are we are cautious somewhat just because of all of the headwinds that we face in terms of headlines. But we have recently actually put some money back to work, and we're still a little bit overweight equities because all we right. think the fundamentals are so strong. What are some of the sectors that you think folks should have some exposure to here if, you know, in fact, interest rates are rising, uh, growth uh, is slowing? Uh, how do you think about that? Well, we are sticking on the growth category uh, with our technology overweight, uh, specifically software and services, because you do have consistency of earnings and revenue growth there. And even if you've got higher multiples, we're willing to pay up for it. Um, we've also added back to our energy exposure. So we're trying to sort of barbell that growth with some cyclicality. Uh, so we have gone a little overweight energy. And we've also gone overweight financials in our longer horizon portfolios because you do have uh, the play into higher net interest margins. And you've also got better loan growth. So we're sticking with some large cap banks there, too. Are you worried about a recession? We had a survey from our um, MLive blog and about half of the people we surveyed expect a recession in 2023. Hmm. Well, it, it, is a, it is a great question. And, and, you know, one of the things that we always say, our mantra is process over prediction. So we don't think we have a better crystal ball than anyone else. And, and arguably, the, the worries are growing every day as to whether or not we can nav navigate a soft landing and avoid a recession. Um, so uh, we, we would agree that the, that the probabilities are, are rising, but we are still not saying that we expect have one next year. Rebecca, we're going to really start kicking off big time earnings season next week. What do you think is critical for this market? How are you thinking about this earnings season? Well, I guess the good news is, is a lot of companies have already got it lower, right? When you look at the, the number of companies um, that have pre-announced, the majority of those pre-announcements have been uh, lower guidance. So we believe the bar is set low. Uh, growth for the quarter is expected to come in in a low single-digit level. So it, it, it should be a quarter where the, the surprises may be to the upside. And we're optimistic about that in terms of actual earnings growth. But, of course, we expect there to be more caution around wage pressures, supply chain disruptions, and that sort of thing. So the key will be to watch margins. Uh, so far, they have held in above average, up around 12%. So we're hopeful uh, that the companies will still have pricing power and be able to deliver on those margins, which is going to be key to keeping multiples up here at these levels. But you think we're going to continue to see supply chain problems, continue to see chip shortage, continue to see commodity inflation? Do you stay away from companies that are hit by that? Well, I mean, we are, we're seeing some signs of easing, but of course the situation in, in, in Ukraine, Russia, uh, that, has, that has caused some aggravation in those supply chains again. 
so it, again, we've increased our, our level of, of cyclicality in terms of energy. Um, also, we've got an overweight in industrial, specifically infrastructure plays. So some of those areas are going to maybe be um, impacted by these types of things, but we're, we're going to take a wait-and-see attitude before we start adjusting positions dramatically uh, versus where we are. Rebecca, how do you and your firm, Riverfront Investment Group, how do you think about ESG investing? Does that factor into your analysis at all? It seems to be gaining a lot of momentum with a lot of different types of uh, investors. Well, absolutely. It's gaining traction. But when you think about how what, what we do, you know, we, we our products are global asset allocation products. Yep. So anytime we want to think about thematic investing, it has to be against the backdrop of, of that global allocation theme. But then you also have to remember that ESG means something different to every investor. So it's really hard, I think, for us to to go down that path in a global diversified strategy. So we're sticking with sort of true sector plays and that sort of thing rather than really playing in what would be called traditionally an ESG world. At what point do you um, – how, how – how... Or when do you expect inflation to come back down? Well, obviously, that's what job number one for the Fed right now. They're yes. going to do whatever they have. What, what is the wording? We'll do whatever it takes. Um, but it's probably still not going to be until the back half of this year or maybe even into 2023, uh, given the pressures that we've already discussed in terms of supply chain disruptions, higher uh, net energy costs for folks. Um, and those sorts of things, and also the wage pressures, right, uh, that wages are going higher. So it's probably going to be, maybe we'll still be talking about inflation this time next year, but I think that ultimately the Fed will succeed. We may not like the ride, but they will be successful in terms of uh, accomplishing that mission vis-a-vis the policy changes that they're going to make. Hey, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we always appreciate getting your thoughts. Rebecca Felton, Senior Market Strategist, Riverfront Investment Group. They are located in lovely Richmond, Virginia. Let's check in with Seth Carpenter, Chief Global Economist for Morgan Stanley. All right, Seth, $110,000 for a trucker, that sounds inflationary to me. How are you thinking about inflation in this marketplace when you hear news that, again, Walmarts can pay their truckers up to $110,000? Absolutely, that does sound inflationary. Um, I have to say, though, the trucker shortage is a, uh, a longstanding trend. In yeah. fact, it predates COVID. And uh, the fact that now they're realizing uh, that one way to get people to work for you is to pay them a little bit more is, is not overly yes. surprising. But <laughs> I think more broadly, you're right. I mean, there there is a tight labor market. I think there are no two ways about it. There continues to be very strong aggregate demand. And at the end of the day, something's got to give. And we have, of course, seen not only strong wages, but we've also seen, as, as everyone knows, a lot of inflation. I have to say also, and then we'll get off the trucker thing. Okay. It is a difficult job. Check. It is an important job. Check. And it is not a job that you want to just give to anyone, right? Because sure. it's dangerous, a, a big rig in the hands of, you know, someone who doesn't know how to control it. So I'm glad they're finally getting paid more. They deserve it. They earn it. And they should. Um, all right. Let's get on to uh, the broader economy because um, we did a survey. Paul, I just sent you uh, yep. the uh, yep. the story. The MLive blog did a survey, Seth, and half of the respondents said they expect a recession in 2023. Now, considering what we heard from Lyle Brainerd and everybody else at the Fed, um, it makes more and more sense. Bullard just told us he thinks they need to raise um, to 3%. So um, what do you think? 
Yeah, so, you know, I'm not going to say that a recession in 2023 is our baseline at all, um, but I think some of the, the, the components that you're talking about there do raise the risk. So the Fed is in a challenging situation. They're trying to, in effect, land a jet on an aircraft carrier during a storm, and they've only seen one training film before, right? <laughs> so it's a very, very difficult situation to be in. Um, and moreover, the amount by which they're going to be <clears throat> tightening policy, the speed with which they're tightening policy, I think is going to be directly influenced by how strong they see the economy. And right now, look at the last non-farm payrolls report, for example, it's clearly very strong right now. <clears throat> so they're on, they're, they're, they're clearly axed to start going. So then what would cause us to have a recession next year? Again, not at all our baseline case, but I think I could see a few things happening. First is the Fed getting a little bit overly enthusiastic, and uh, they're going to start running off their balance sheet. We got some details from that on the minutes yesterday. But I have to say, even after my 15 years there at the Fed, spending a lot of time thinking about the Fed balance sheet, if anybody tells you they know for sure exactly how that unwind the balance sheet is going to affect markets and the economy, I think they're either lying to you or they're lying to themselves. So there's some possibility of, of a policy you know, hiccup there. I think on top of that, as they start hiking, especially if they front load the hiking, if heaven forbid, things get worse with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and we have what we've detailed as the cutoff scenario where all energy stops flowing to Europe, for example, you could see Europe slip into recession. That's got to spill over to the U.S. And if the Fed has already front loaded a lot of the hikes and let the unwind the balance sheet go with some unintended consequences, I think that's the sort of constellation of events that, that gets you a recession in, in early 2023. How material is that risk to you, Seth, and that energy risk for Europe leading to a recession. Um, right now, the, the oil's still flowing, the, the dollars and euros are still going into Russia, but boy, there's a growing call to kind of tone that down or, or, or limit that. It doesn't seem morally tenable. Yeah. yeah so <clears throat> I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm not a, a political scientist and I cannot forecast uh, where this conflict is going, but but I, I absolutely subscribe to the way you're reading things, which is things are worse now than they were uh, two or three weeks ago. I think the calls for starting to cut off with oil, with uh, coal rather, so it shows you that we maybe we're on that path in that direction. The discussions about <clears throat> dollars versus rubles and which uh, accounts are frozen, I think, adds to the to the tension. So I think it's got to be a scenario that we take very very seriously. How about this? Um, where's your R starred right now? <laughs> uh, I'd rather start off with um, how big <laughs> the error bands are around that R star. I mean, uh, the Fed has theirs in nominal terms at about two and a half. I guess I would very slightly take the under on that. But boy, the ability to be certain about where that is, is very hard to come by. And I'll just highlight one thing. I mean, <clears throat> in one version of the world, the Fed having a really big balance sheet all else equal just makes financial conditions easier, which right. means our stars got to be higher to get the same amount of neutrality. On the other hand, the act of shrinking the balance sheet pushes spreads wider and tightens financial conditions. And so as you're shrinking the balance sheet, maybe that says our stars a little bit lower. Yep. Um, I, I think anybody would be an idiot to try to say that they know for sure where it is and, and, and drive with that knowledge. Instead, right, well, where I suspect Powell and company are going is they're going to be driving by yep. feel a little bit sort of like what we saw in 2018. All right, Seth, thanks so much for joining us. Seth Carpenter, Chief Global Economist from Morgan Stanley. All right, let's talk mobile banking. You know, Matt, I am a whiz now at mobile banking. I deposit checks, 
uh, I transfer money, wire transfers. I do it all, uh, and I'm feeling pretty good about that, uh, and that's all learned in the last two years. Let's check in with Loveline Sidhu, chair, CEO, and founder of BM Technologies. Helps uh, banks and folks you know, kind of get into the digital game on the banking side. Loveline, thanks so much for joining us here. Am I representative of the average person out there, i.e., I've gotten a lot more tech savvy as it relates to my banking? No, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And, and just to, to, to begin, a little bit about BM Technologies, just as a reminder, we are one of the largest digital banking and banking as a service providers in the country today. Um, and, and really one of the first neobanking fintechs to go public, to be profitable, and now to actually embrace a bank charter. Um, so to answer your questions, I think that, you know, COVID in that period definitely accelerated the use of technology, not just in financial services, but really across the board. Um, and then couple that with a surge in deposits from stimulus. It was definitely, you know, a good good time for, for banks and for consumers to start engaging with them in a new way. So what does this mean, Lovely, and we can do at BM Technologies? Do Can I use you as a consumer um, or do... Uh, Companies use you to help embed, you know, banking services in their um, online presence, or do you work with with banks directly? What 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 is, it, who's your client? Yeah, a little bit of all of the above, um, and so we have you know a unique digital banking platform that allows us to directly go to consumers and offer them a more compelling banking experience, from the products to the features to more affordable product sets but also the same digital banking platform that's cloud-based, that's API-enabled. Uh, the beauty of it is that we could license that to others, and we allow and enable large brands to offer financial services as well, and not just from a technology standpoint, but you know, as you know, banking is regulated, and there's a lot in the back end to really operate and support a bank, and all of that we also provide as well today. And lovely, and I know you know the banks have been talking about for years the capital investments they're making in their technology platforms. Uh, is it lowering the cost? Is it allowing them to increase their profit margins if they really make the investment for digital? You know, we've been seeing for years that banks continue to invest in in, in technology and product enhancements, and that doesn't always correlate to a better customer experience. It's how is it done. And is, is it done well with the customer in, in mind? And so you don't rapidly see as, as larger banks are investing billions of dollars that correlates to more and more happy customers. Um, but that being said, it's a good move forward. I think that, you know, consumers are demanding more as it relates to crypto in terms of having that being part of their financial planning and assuming that banks would have an opportunity for them to get involved in that. They're demanding more of a rebundling of financial services. I shouldn't have to go to Robinhood for one thing, SoFi for another thing, but really going under one umbrella, one platform to get all of my financial needs. Um, and, and lastly, you know, really a push for financial inclusion so that I don't just need to go to a bank branch to get my, my banking done. But really, if there's a brand that I truly trust, I value, I have an emotional connection with, can I go there and get my banking needs met? And that's what we're doing with our banking as a service and, and BM Technologies partnered with T-Mobile, for example, to right. launch the T-Mobile checking account. Interesting stuff. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Uh, I feel like I am tech savvy now on my uh, consumer financial services. I paid my gardener. What's that? During this program, I paid my gardener. There you go. Look at you. Yeah. Lovely Sidhu, chair, CEO, and founder of BM Technologies. New York Stock Exchange listed, BMTX. 
It is day one of the Masters. Tiger's on a second hole, even par. So we thought a good time to talk about the business of golf. Randy Peitch, COO of PGA Superstore. He's going to join us and talk to us about the retail side of the game of golf. Plus, Barry Ridholtz joins us because it's Thursday, and he always talks to us on Thursday. So we'll see what his thoughts are on these markets. But first, let's go to Greg Jarrett. Get a Bloomberg Business Flash. Greg. Well, stocks continue to retreat, Paul. Investors are digesting the possibility of even more aggressive monetary tightening by the Fed and uh, are monitoring the war in Ukraine. The S&P right now is down six-tenths of a percent, down 25. The Dow is down eight-tenths of a percent, down 267. And the Nasdaq's down eight-tenths of a percent, down 116. The 10-year is down 11.30 seconds. The yield is 2.64%. West Texas Intermediate Crude continues to descend it's down 1.4% at 94.87 a barrel. Comex Gold is up six tenths of a percent at 1934.20 an ounce. The dollar yen 123.85. The euro a dollar 901. The British pound the dollar 30.60. Harvard plans to sell green bonds to finance construction of a new science and engineering complex for renovation of an existing dorm. The richest U.S. college is planning to sell 800 million dollars of taxable bonds, 300 million of which will be designated as green according to documents posted to Muni OS. That is a Bloomberg business flash. Bloomberg Markets continues now, Paul Sweeney and Matt Miller. All right, Greg Jarrett, good stuff there. You know, Matt, when the pandemic hit March of 2020, lockdown, one of the few things you could do is kind of go out on the golf course and play golf. And rounds of golf at my club in New Jersey were up almost 50% there in 2020, just a, you know, amazing surge and it has to be good for the game of golf uh, let's talk about the business of golf randy peitch coo of pga tour superstores randy thanks so much for joining us here again rounds of my club were up 40 to 50 percent is that kind of what we saw around the country yes very very much and thank you first of all for having me on the show but uh, you are absolutely right in the rounds of golf um the industry saw 529 million rounds of golf played last year um, that's nearly a 5% increase from 2020, um, which was also the highest ever recorded. Uh, so we are at an all-time high in, in rounds played. And uh, as you said, at your club, you're seeing that. And various clubs around the country are seeing a surge like has never been seen before in, in the golf industry. So uh, it's, it's, it's really fun to, to see it. And I know that our world is experiencing a lot of pain right now between wars and what you just announced in the market and there's a lot of bad going on in the world but um people are are looking for a little bit of an escape from time to time and that's what our our business and our our great game provides so it's really fun to uh to be to be able to be a part of that how important is tiger's participation extremely important so uh so you've probably uh remember back in, in 97 when he first won the Masters um, and the surge that the golf the game of golf saw between 97 and 2000 when Tiger was at his peak. Um, and prior to 2020, we had never seen a surge like that in golf. Um, and, and this is equal to that. And um, the, the human side of the story of Tiger, that he actually almost lost his life, number one. We start with that. Uh, but he was he was more likely to lose that leg than he was to, to have the leg. So to, to see him out here, even just walking around a golf course, uh, let alone competing, as I'm watching him hit his third shot into a par five here. Me too. And it <laughs> makes it 
but he ties for the lead uh, in the Masters just to be able to say that in 2022, um, 14 months after that, that horrific accident, uh, for Tiger Woods to be tied for the lead is something that um, a normal story at the Masters, obviously this is the biggest tournament of the year, um, a, a normal feel-good story at the Masters reaches certain news outlets. When Tiger is in the Masters and contending in a normal year, it's a bigger story that my wife, who's just marginally interested in golf, talks about. It's talked about in places and on networks uh, that it's not talked about in other places. But with the accident and the comeback story added to that, this right. has potential larger than life. And, you know, the fact that we're sitting here watching his second hole of a 72-hole tournament and talking about it is uh, is really incredible, and, and lots of other people are as well. I've gotten text messages that Tiger's now teeing off, and what yep. do you think he's going <laughs> to do? And it's, it's the talk of the golf world. So it's a lot of fun, um, and it helps business, and it helps people be interested in golf, which is uh, – which is the most important thing. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we're even here at Bloomberg. We're all over it. Stay tuned for updates of the Masters Tournament every hour throughout the weekend on Bloomberg Radio and a special edition of Masters tonight coming up at 11 p.m. Eastern. Randy, talk to us about supply chain. If I want to go buy a new set of clubs or golf shoes, are they going to be in the store? Yeah, so that's a great question. We have uh, we have struggled like, uh, like others have uh, initially on the supply chain, but the, the best part about us is we've gotten very, very creative uh, so number one, we've we've we have great rep, uh, relationships with our manufacturers, as you can imagine. But we've done things that are a little bit out of the norm. So uh, we had a, a, a manufacturer, but you probably know by the name of Titleist, um, right. and they make wedges called Vokey wedges, and they were out of grips. And uh, what we told Titleist, we worked a deal with them. They sold, they sent us wedges that were ungripped, and we told customers that came in, you pick out any grip in our store, and we'll put it on at no charge and customers were happier. We're able to have products. So we're doing things that are very, very unique. Um, and for the first time uh, since the pandemic started, uh, we are back to the inventory levels that are above what our plans are. Um, so that's really, really good news um, that, that we're still, we're, we're, we're doing better now than we ever have. Um, I'm not going to tell you that there are no lead times out there for certain special orders, but it's gotten a lot better. Um, and and as I said, we're the leader in the marketplace that, that's able to uh, to do things that are really, really unique. Um, and I just got off the phone with our call center um, and the calls for things that are follow ups on special orders are way down, um, which is an anecdotal way to say that uh, special order lead times are coming down. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's great news for everybody that our manufacturers have stepped up and and we're certainly the, the leader in the category in, in being able to get customers uh product quicker than uh what they're expecting today quite all frankly right. all right randy thanks so much for joining us randy peich there chief operating officer of the pga tour superstore and he has a ton of experience in the industry uh, with postings formerly at sports authority and Saks, etc so it's great to get his insight on um the merchandising and uh, supply chain side of th these things in terms of sporting events i gotta say paul the for me the masters is the greatest sporting event that i've ever been to it's just so much fun and i've been to other big deals like the super bowl but nothing is like augusta i agree with you 100 percent. i've been to the masters once i was fortunate enough to, to do that and again I've, I've been fortunate enough to go to a lot of other big sporting events but it's just uh, special even if you're not a, a golf fan there's just a special feeling there and uh, the place itself is just immaculate thanks for listening to the bloomberg markets podcast 
You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.